This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 7, Episode 15. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of podcasts, brought to you by Silencer Shop. Today is Wednesday, November 2nd, 2022, as of the recording of this episode, and I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined today by Mr. Awesome himself, and soon to be celebrating the next great holiday, the Marine Corps birthday, mm-hmm. our, our illustrious, humble producer, Marine man, <laughs> Matthew Marister. Yeah, and, and I... I... Line that up the the Marine Corps birthday with my anniversary, so I wouldn't fit, wouldn't miss, so uh, or forget. <laughs> so I got those two things coming up. I'll knock them both out, and uh, you know I won't forget. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So anyway, we're glad to be with you all. Hey, uh, you know we mentioned a lot of times that uh, you know in the intro of the podcast that this is a part of a network of podcasts, and for those of you if you're somewhat newer to the podcast. You should know that this is the Concealed Carry Podcast, but we also have the uh, Firearm Trainers Podcast that Rob Beckman hosts. Uh, you can find that pretty much anywhere you find or listen to the Concealed Carry Podcast. I guess you might not find it as readily on, say, YouTube or something. But if you if you go to any of the podcast apps, uh, Spotify we're on, we're on Audible as well, but the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you'll find the Firearm Trainers Podcast if that's something you have interest in, uh, whether you're already a firearm instructor yourself or looking at maybe possibly becoming a firearms instructor. Uh, Rob's got wonderful, very interesting uh, and and uh, educational interviews with respected in- instructors on his podcast. Uh, so you can check that out. Also, the uh, I always get it back or switched on-duty, off-duty podcast or off-duty, on-duty podcast. Brian, I know. Sorry. Brian Eastridge is our host of that one. I don't know why. I can't ever keep it straight, whether we start with the word on or the word off first. <laughs> but it's either one of those two things. It's the off-duty. What's that? It's off-duty. Off? <laughs> pretty sure. See, I, 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 I just I don't know why I struggle with that one. Off-duty, on-duty podcast hosted by Brian Eastridge. Uh, talking about uh, concealed carry related things, self-defense related things and issues from both the kind of civilian or non-officer perspective, but also introducing the officer's uh, perspective as well as a, as a law enforcement officer as he actually just uh, crossed the 20-year mark as a LEO himself. So uh, great podcast. You guys can go check those out. Uh, part of our, our little network here of shows. So anyway... Glad to have you with us on this one here today. Our episode sponsors today are LASR Laser Activated Shot Reporters, what that stands for. LaserApp.org, actually. They changed their website. They're, I think .com still redirects, but LASRAPP.org is where you can find one of the finest dry fire training software programs out there. We've been using it for years. I've I was an early adopter along with Jacob when we first met these guys at SHOT Show. I think, and I can't remember if I met them at my first SHOT Show and just happened to, you know, uh, learn of them then or if it was me and Jacob, he went with me to the to the next SHOT Show. But I remember we both had a conversation with those guys and uh, 
yeah so long history there as long as we've been basically doing things here with concealedcarry.com we've, we've we've had a relationship with laserapp.org i think it's a wonderful software and you should you should check it out if you haven't already all right we use it typically in the shooter ready challenge videos that i do each month which is actually one of the things we're going to be discussing here today go to laserapp.org and sign up today. Check out the Laser X version if you want the most uh, versatile version. And I think Laser Classic is still a thing, which uh, is only limited or is restricted to uh, Windows-based machines, but is still very excellent to use. Anyway, check it out, laserapp.org. Today's other episode sponsor is Barrel Block. Barrel Block with a K, B-A-R-R-E-L-B-L-O-K. You can go to barrelblock.com. And of course, uh, we recommend barrel blocks for dry fire use. Okay, I've got one here inserted into this gun here, completely blocking, obstructing the chamber and the barrel of the gun. So we know that it's impossible to get anything chambered into this gun while I'm performing dry fire practice. So check out barrelblock.com, conduct your dry fire practice a little bit more safely today. Now, when you're using something like a laser dot trainer from Ready Up Gear uh, to project a laser beam onto a target so the laser app can read it, that's a little bit of a different scenario. But when I'm just doing dry fire practice for pure dry fire sake, you know, just, just do, going through the motions, going through the reps, that kind of thing, Barrel Block is my preferred tool to use. Again, barrelblock.com. Let's get into today's episode content, which uh, we're, we're actually discussing the most recent Shooter Ray Challenge video uh, as a topic. I think it's a very interesting one. And so we are talking about how to learn and practice the concept of shot calling in dry fire. Mm. Okay. And so part of that, I think, naturally means is that we need to define what shot calling is uh, for those that may not quite know what that is. I think there's a lot of misconceptions of what shot calling is and isn't. Uh, so we need to define that. And then we need to talk about how that's typically, I think actually a natural progression, Matthew is talking about how people typically associate or perform shot calling in live fire and then move into the dry fire side of it, because that's a little bit, it's not as intuitive, if you will. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not something that people probably are even, you know, aware of or think about in terms of dry fire. Uh, but I, I, I have gained immensely from, in terms of skill, from uh, shot calling skill, from being able to do that in dry fire as well. Uh, we'll talk about some of the tools too that uh, make that a little bit uh, more possible as well. Because uh, I, I demonstrate in the Shooter Ready Challenge uh, doing some drills with the uh, Cool Fire Trainer, which means that my gun is able to reciprocate. Uh, but you don't have to have that either to still learn and have value in practicing shot calling, even in dry fire. So let's start first with uh, what is shot calling? Matthew, I want to hear your your take on, a, I guess, a definition of shot calling. Uh, maybe I'll add or take away from that. We'll see. Yeah. See how you do, buddy. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> now, um, yeah, thanks. <laughs> I think so. Uh, as far as shot calling, it really is. We've talked about the importance and I know you, you, you've gone way into the weeds on this, uh, several episodes about the, the importance of vision and seeing your sights, um, is so important in, in shooting. And so when you, when you take that to that 
importance of watching your sites and seeing your sites. Um, it, a lot of people will say, okay, you know, I understand I have to get site alignment, site picture and all that type of fundamental stuff. And, um, and then they start, they, they start their trigger press and they're not focused on the sites and they don't know what the, tr- the sites are doing as they press the trigger. And when I mean focus, they're not paying attention to what they're doing. I'm not saying like have a front site focus or, or anything. I'm just saying you're not paying attention to either your iron sights or your dot. So as you start that trigger press, you might have had a great, you know, uh, site presentation, um, but you're not paying attention to where the sites are as you press. So you don't really know where the sites are when the shot breaks. And so, um, you might think, well, well, I, you know, I was, I was aiming center mass. And so my hit's going to be center mass if it, you know, and then it's low to the left. Okay. You know, I must be jerking the trigger. I must be, you know, you throw on all these other things, but you're not perceiving that really what it is, is, you know, so, something with your grip is you're applying some, some force to that grip as you squeeze, the, squeeze a trigger that's causing the gun to move and you're not perceiving it. So shot calling would be something where you're, you're, you, you know where the sights are at the time the shot breaks and you can, you buy that input by where the, those sights are when the shot breaks, um, you know, you should have a clue or an idea of where that site was in relationship to your target. And therefore you could say, well, that shot was low left, that shot was upper right, or, you know, um, and so when you start doing that, then, you know, the natural progression is, it would be, you know, to be able to follow the site and, and see it come back onto your target. Now that's not shot calling per se, but that's like the natural progression of understanding where those sites are throughout the entire process of, of, of the, I guess the, the, the round being fired. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So to define shot calling in a, in the most simple way that I can do. Uh, and, and I think I kind of have somewhat of a unique wording on this. Uh, I mean, the, the concept itself is not unique, has been a thing for a long time. Um, but the way I've described this for several years now is that shot calling is knowing where the round will impact the target at the precise moment that you press the, the, sh- the trigger or, or fire the shot. Um, because I've heard it described and, and defined a lot of different ways from a lot of different people, and including all very correct ways of de- defining it. But that, to me, is the simplest way to define it, which is knowing at the precise moment that I go click you know, on the trigger and it actually drops the sear or hammer and fires a shot, knowing at that moment where that round will hit the target. And I say will hit the target because it hasn't hit the target yet at that moment that I've pressed the trigger and fired the shot, that bullet has not hit the target yet. Even though a lot of times we perceive when, especially when we're shooting up close and, and this usually happens with uh, handguns, right? Cause we're usually shooting at three, five, seven, 10, maybe, you know, even 15 yards is still reasonably close. Uh, you press a trigger and it feels and seems instantaneous that, bang, and there's a hole in the target. Like It, it all feels like it happens at the same moment. The reality is it, it, it isn't. And I've, I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast where even filming 
uh, a shooter shooting, even filming at say 30 frames per second with my, my phone, let's say, although it'll do 60 frames or 120 or 240, even in slow-mo modes, but uh, even at just 30 frames per second, where each frame is catching a slice in time. That's like 0.3. It's actually exactly 0.3 point, excuse me, 0.033333 seconds slices of time because you got 30 frames in a second it ends up working out to 0.0333 seconds per frame uh i've even at seven yards captured guns being fired and like you actually see the slide already starting to move to the rear and actually i'll say this the slide moving to the rear means the bullet's already gone and yet that same frame showing the slide has, you know, say came back, you know, a quarter of an inch, let's say there's no hole yet on the target. And then one frame or sometimes even two frames later, there's a hole that appears on the target. It's like, Whoa, you know, like, so like there, there's actually, it's, it's a very short amount of time between the moment the trigger is pressed and when the bullet impacts the target. But that's, that's just an important distinction that, it's the at the moment I press the trigger, I know where the round will impact the target. That's a subtle but important distinction. It becomes more of a thing when we're shooting longer distances. Long range uh, rifle shooters are well acquainted with mm-hmm. shot calling, uh, and that's actually where I was first introduced to shot calling. Right, because yep. like you're holding your crosshairs. Let's say you're using a scope, or it could be irons too, but you know, typically I'm using a scope shooting. 200, 300, 400 yards, let's say, maybe even 600. I've shot, I've even shot out to, you know, 1400 yards or whatever. I've not yet entered the mile club, the one mile club, unfortunately. I'd like like to do that at some point, but I've shot almost that far. But anyway, that's one of those things where you get the dope, right? Whatever adjustment is you need to make to your scope or your hold, you send the shot and you're like, yep, that's a good one. You know, and then a half second, a second, two seconds later, ding, <laughs> mm-hmm. or you see the, the the plate move or whatever you know it is that you're shooting at. So, like rifle shooters shooting longer distances ha- have been well acquainted with the concept of knowing where that round will impact at the moment I sent the shot, because I knew I, I knew my hold was good when I sent it. And I knew it was going to impact. And you, if you watch really skilled uh, PRS shooters, uh, precision rifle series competitors, you'll see them a lot of times engaging targets. You know, typically they'll be in a single position, uh, let's say, and they're shooting, you know, five targets or something from that position. And you'll see them just going bang, bang, bang. And by the time that first round hits the first target, they're already, they already have their scope sighted on the next one. You know, because at the moment they sent it, they knew it was going to hit, right? Because that's how skilled they are. And they, and they know based on what they see through their sighting information, they're like, yep, that's a hit onto the next one, right? And it's at that point, it's an exception when they hit, when they realize, oh, wait, that one for whatever reason didn't hit and they got to go back to it or something. But anyway, I, I can get, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Like you said, I can be in, I can get into the weeds on this pretty quick, but this is this is important. Like this is what shot calling is: is knowing where the round will be on target when I fire it. Well, how do I know where it's going to go? 
And yeah. you just touched on that um, so well just a moment ago talking about, well, I need to be paying attention to where my sights are at all times of the shot process. Yeah, I, I think it's important practically because in so many ways, but practically for even somebody who's not a com- competitive shooter or or it's it's important because if you don't know where your sights are at the moment the round is fired and you're you're basing where the gun is aimed you know a half second or split second before that and you don't account for that movement then you start trying to diagnose problems that really might not be you're trying to diagnose something because you think that you were aim center mass when you squeeze the trigger, but when the shot broke, you were clearly low into the left and you can't figure it out. So people are, you know, Oh, this gun shoots low into the left. Let me drift the sights or all kinds of crazy things. And if you just understood and, and paid attention to what your sights were doing at that moment, you would say that was me. Like, I know I, I saw the sights move as I, you know, started to press that trigger and I started to grip with stronger with my right hand or whatever it might be. And so it's practically important because you can start self-diagnosing things a lot better. Um, and then obviously you become a, a better shooter because you know where you're shooting. You, you, you understand that. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a lot of reasons why being able to call your shots is, is an important skill, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. So in live fire, okay, again, we'll, we're going to cross the bridge back over to the dry fire side here in a moment. But in live fire, how do we, how do we determine what that precise site positioning was relative to target at the moment the shots fired? How do we, like, how do we know if I'm paying attention to sights right now, can you hold your sights on target perfectly still? No, there's always going to be movement. Right? There's always movement. Mm-hmm. And you're even especially aware of that once you start shooting with a red dot on mm-hmm. your gun, right? Because mm-hmm. then you see that movement just way more prevalently. So, let's let you know whether you're using irons or dot doesn't really matter. The same they're, they're it's all the same. Although we're we'll talk about the nuances or the differences between those two. Let's let's use the red dot as the example right now. Okay? So, you're holding your dot on target, right? And it's it's kind of floating there, right? There's there's movement because I can't hold perfectly still. Nobody can, right? So how do I know, like, what what is the cue that that's where that round is going? Yeah, well, it it when you when that shot breaks, you're going to have movement in your sight, right? The 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 slide is going to reciprocate, so that dot is going to move. So, you know, at the point where that, when that moment happens, where, where there's the movement of, from, you know, from the reciprocating slide, you know, that's the point that you should be calling. Like that's where you actually broke the shot. So wherever that is in relationship to, uh, on, on your target or on your, on your, you know, whatever you're shooting at the zone that you're trying to hit, um, so it wouldn't be necessarily, well, this is where I started, I, you know, my sight was, I was having movement, I started to apply uh, pressure to the trigger and, um, and then I just go, you know, focus on the target and I don't, you know, look at the sight, I don't track it. So I think, um, I don't know if that's answering your question, but like at the moment that y- you, you perceive that, that that shot has broke, that's where your sights are. That's where, mm-hmm. that's the alignment that, that's where it's going to impact, right? 
Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, imagine this, like you're watching your dot or your sights float over the target as you're getting ready to send the shot. And at some point you determine things are aimed well enough to send the shot and you press the trigger. So all that time while you're monitoring your sights, right? You're watching them, you're watching, like, even as I do this demonstration towards the camera, right? Where it's like, okay, you know, here I am. And you see right there in my hands, there's a little bit of wobble as I'm trying to hold steady. And at some point I'm going to send the shot. Well, while I'm monitoring the sights, I, I can see everything very clearly, right? And I'm not talking about like what's in focus or not in focus. I'm just talking about like I can see and recognize where the sights are. They're, they're, they're slightly moving. That's why I like to use the word floating because that seems to describe it pretty well. I can, I see they're not blurry as far as motion blur, right? They're just floating there. They may be blurry because my focus plane may be different, but they're not motion blurred. But at the moment that I fire the shot, what happens? You see right there, like as I'm doing this towards the camera, for those of you viewing the podcast, right? Now all of a sudden I have motion blur. And so, um, What's the last thing I, I see before the blur is a certain position. And, and, and if you're paying attention, you can pick that up. It'll, it'll sort of be like this, this impression of an image in your mind that, you know, you're watching sites, watching sites, watching sites, and all of a sudden everything went blurry as the gun recoiled really fast. And that precise moment right up to the time that, and actually it goes blurry because the front sight is going to lift straight up, mm-hmm. right? It's going to go, Poom! it's going to lift straight up. And at that moment, right there, right as it starts to lift, you're going to get this last impression in your, in your brain, in the visual processing of your brain. It's like, oh, that's where it was. And that is the precise, precise moment that you have to be paying attention to. Right. Brian Enos talks about in his uh, practical shooting book that, disregarding or or not being visually aware of your sights for even for even a one hundredth of a second, which is a very small moment in time. It's one third of the length of time of my 30 frames per second camera example I gave a moment ago. One hundredth of a second, a millisecond or whatever, in other words, is 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 a very small snippet of time. Brianius talks about disregarding your sights for that amount of time can mean the difference between hitting and missing what you're actually trying to hit. And it's like, hmm, that's interesting, right? Yeah. And that, that just paints a picture of just how in tune I think we have to be every moment. Paying yeah. attention to where the sights are. And can I can I just interject yeah. one thing that mm-hmm. like I because I, just a point of clarification for some people because I know that there is some uh, idea out there that shot calling is you know tracking the site back down and where you know uh, th- that not the point where the, you know the, the the dot or the front site would start to move up but um, but you follow the site back down and where that rests that's where the the you know, your impact was right. And that's where you're calling your shot, but that isn't actually shot calling. Um, So to differentiate between follow through and and understanding that component separately, than calling the shot where 
you know, the sights are uh, when that shot breaks is, is, is a different, Mm -hmm. different thing. So just to kind of, you know, kind of separate those two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Good little comment slash question from eat shoots, eats shoots and leaves tactical on YouTube says, so you have to develop, you kind of have to develop a dual awareness, both of the spot on the target where you are focusing your eyes and what your dot is doing over top of that, correct? Uh, he says we don't want to shift our focus. That I, that's definitely true, especially shooting uh, red dots, because um, really the proper way of running a red dot on a pistol would be to be target focused all the time. There's no point in having to change our plane of focus with uh, using a red dot. So he's correct on that. So yeah, this dual awareness of well. There, there's part of it is the physical act of actually converging my eyes on a specific point, right? And that's this is a sequential thing, right? The first thing we got to do when we're going to shoot a target is we need to acquire that target. And by that, like I'm looking at a dry fire target I have on the wall behind the computer. It's above and beyond the computer here. And I want to shoot the center of that target. Well, it's got an A zone and a C zone and a D zone. My eye is going right to the center, right onto the letter A, of that A zone, right? And that's the physical act of converge those eyes on that point. And because there's no need for me to change my focus to any other plane, my accommodation or plane of focus is also at that same point. That's all fine and well, right? So that's that's the first thing. And that's not so much an awareness. I mean, you could be aware of the fact that, yes, my eyes are actually locked onto that specific point. So that's, I guess that that's what you could refer to, I suppose, uh, but the other thing is now, where is my site or my dot re- related to what I'm looking at? In other words, are my sites or my dot at that same point or not? That's that's really what aiming is, or at least confirming our aim is recognizing when the aiming system, the sites or the dot, are aligned with the place that my eyes are converged. So uh, I don't know again if it's a dual awareness, but but yeah, we are trying to bring two things in space into alignment, right? But it starts with converging and locking our eyes on a specific point on the target. But anyway, um, talking about the dot, I used earlier the example of talking about like my sights, right? The dot relative to a streak. Again, we're going to see motion blur. We're, we're looking at the dot. We're holding it on target. We see a dot. And at some point I fire the shot and I'm going to see motion blur, which in this case, it's a very in my face, you know, like readily apparent bright dot. It's a glowing light basically shining back at my eyeball. And at some point that glowing orb of light is all of a sudden going to streak upwards. And I'm going to see a, a, a streak more like a line, right? And so that's the red dot equivalent of recognizing that moment that the shot's actually fired and trying to capture that that flash, that little last second impression of here's where the dot was and then it left. Okay. So we have to be really, really tuned in visually awareness-wise. And that's um, easier said than done for sure. I mean, I would like to hear from you, Matthew, a little bit about just the the idea of how do we open up our visual awareness and be paying attention to more visual information? Yeah, that's that's the hardest part, right? That that's 
that's the most, I think, taxing part of like doing this is the cycle that, you know, the, the connection of like processing all this in your brain, squeezing the trigger, you know, getting a stance, all that stuff is like, it's secondary to like taking all this input that's coming in your, you know, your eyes visually and, and, and then processing it and, and making maybe adjustments in the middle of a build drill so minutely that, you know, you're, you're perceiving this stuff. So, and it, it, you know, so that I think um, to practice doing this um, is important because if, for example, um, this is a, you, you brought up the, the uh, analogy of rifle shooting. And I know Memphis, he's a, he's a Marine and he, he'll probably pick up on this. You know, you, you, you have a, a book, you plot your shot where you think it's going, target goes down, somebody marks it, comes back up. So you've already, you know, you've taken in that visual stimulus as uh, of the sights, as you broke that shot, it goes down for a second, you plot it in your book. And when it comes up, hopefully it's in that same general area, right? If it's not, then you, you have a disconnect. Um, but so if, if we can practice doing this, uh, on live fire, um, for me, it's, it's a little easier cause you know, I got old eyes and at 15 yards, I can't even see, you know, nine millimeter holes being punched in the, in, into the target. So I'm somewhat shot calling all the time cause of my eyes, but, um, you know, if we can, um, work this into our routine as far as taking in the stimulus um in calling our shots and I'll let you go through the, the process of that. Um I, I you know it it we're developing the habit of doing it. Um I I I really think um if I'm driving in the vehicle and I have like a little speck or a bug splatter on the window windshield kind of looking through uh my windshield and, and getting that that um, bug, you know, lining up that bug splatter uh, with, with accommodation, as you, as you mentioned, different focal planes, not focusing on the bug, but kind of superimposing, kind of like mimicking a dot or whatnot. Um, just, you know, there's all different kinds of things we've talked about offline, the, the um, different technology that's being used by athletes and competitive shooters, even um, as far as trying to, you know, be able to process uh, visually what you're seeing and then compute it to, um, you know, reaction times and stuff like that. So there's a lot of different ways that you can start developing um, the awareness or, or work on a skill or a muscle, just like anything else, like um, through mm -hmm. trying to bring in information um, without being overloaded, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I don't know but, where I went with that, but I, I hope that kind of <laughs> was in the general area. Well, in your example of like using a, a spot, a speck, a bug splatter on my windshield and uh, you stole my example. I don't know uh, if I got that from you or if you got that from me, or if you just are smart like me and figured it out. But mm -hmm. I do, yeah. I do little, I, I play little vision games all the time when driving most, you know, I'm talking like open road, you know, which we we see a lot more of out here in the West, you know, where we have just wide open, straight shots for long distances. And those are great opportunities that I'll just like partly just keep myself uh, uh, paying attention and, and awake and everything while driving. Play little vision games. 
including picking, you know, targets off in the distance, say a, a vehicle that I'm, you know, that's a couple hundred yards in front of me or half a mile even in front of me or whatever. And, and just be like, Hey, this little speck on my windshield is like an aiming point, And I'm going to lock in on that target and I'm going to bring those two into alignment. And in, in my mind, or maybe even with my hand on my, on my steering wheel, I'll, I'll just, I'll trigger with my index finger. Like, that's good. Send it. Bang. That's good. Send it. Bang. You know, that kind of thing. Um, I play uh, vision games too, where I shift uh, my convergence of my eyes. So the point that I'm looking at uh, again, wide open road. Okay. Not direct. I'm not, I'm not advocating for anything unsafe <laughs> here, uh, but I will, I, I, this is great for transition practice. I will shift my eyes from the road side reflectors. Okay, so you got like, you know, the orange ones on one side of the road, the white ones typically on the other side of the road, that kind of thing, where I'll shift my eye from, because those, and they're usually staggered too, right? They kind of like come at you like this, left, right, left, right, left, right. Sometimes they come together, just, you know, I don't understand all the logic behind how those are set out. I know that there are specific distances, but um, but you can play this, this game, you're just cruising along and it's like, bam, and I'll pick up the center of one of those reflectors. Like there's like a little, not, it's probably not a nail, but it's probably like a little nut or bolt or something, right? It's holding the reflector on the stick, but I'll try to, I do my, everything I can to get my eye on the center of that reflector. And then as quickly as I acquire it and feel like I had the time to like imagine sending a shot, transition my eye over to the next reflector, which at that point, if you're going 70, 75, 80 miles an hour, like they start coming at you pretty quick. Bam, 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 just back and forth, back and forth. Sometimes I will use uh, signs, uh, the mileage markers or an exit sign, and I'll pick specific letters and, and, and try to focus on specific parts of those letters. Like the inside portion of a capital a the peak of that for instance or even trying to and this is harder when we like points and angles and intersections are really good for our eye like it's easy for our eyes to lock in on but trying to focus a on the center of that letter a not the peak of it but like more in the cross piece you know across the middle of it trying to focus on the center of that that's harder and it takes effort. So I, I play little games like that all the time. Now, all those may not necessarily direct translate to what we're talking about here today, but I do think it all helps in some respect to training you to control your eyes more specifically, more deliberately than what people typically are able to do. Because we don't, like intuitively, we don't spend a lot of time practicing and strengthening our eyes and eye muscles and things like that. They, they, there are in fact muscles there that are engaged even to change the focus. Okay. The accommodation of our eyes involve little tiny muscles and to move my eye from this point to that point, to that point, I'm moving my eyes about like those are little muscles that are all engaged and in, in having to work in coordination. And so they are a learned skill. But we learn through life, you know, where we just we just go about our day-to-day lives and just look at stuff. And we're like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, we're not really thinking about how we go about doing that. We just do it. And when we start thinking about it and you start encouraging your eyes to actually have to work to a specific goal or task, and then you suddenly realize, like, oh, that's harder than I 
thought like I thought I was looking at the center of that whatever thing, but I realized I was just kind of looking at it, not really at a specific thing within that. Like that's where it gets really interesting as you start exploring what you can and cannot do with your eyes. Mm-hmm. And also realize as you get older, these things start getting less, just like all the other joints and muscles and tendons in our bodies that get weaker and less, less awesome, less coordinated, et cetera, et cetera. Like our, our eyes change and, and go through some, you know, they, they get less um, capable, unfortunately, just a part of getting old. And so, but I think uh, working on some of these exercises are, I'd like to think would be beneficial you know, in terms of the long-term health of our eyes as well. Well, yeah. And, and in general, I think uh, we are, we don't, through our typical vision, we don't typically need to look at precise detail, right? Like you look at somebody's face, you don't specifically need to see the hair that's coming out of their nose, right? You just generally get a picture of their face. So our eyes aren't, I don't think, naturally inclined to start picking out small detail. Maybe some people, they have a specific job where, uh, that might, you know, tend, they, they might tend to do that. But, um, I think that's why it's, it's a skill that needs to be developed for, for the most part. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to address a couple of comments and or questions here. Um, I'm going to do John listener a, a favor here on YouTube because he's asking something that's outside the scope of what we're discussing here today. So I typically don't answer stuff like this, but he wants to know about Hall Sun and whether any we have any opinions on the SCS, EPS, or 507C optics. because uh, he's looking, I guess, at getting a red dot on a pistol. And I'm going to answer that very quickly and simply by saying uh the SCS is the latest and greatest thing. And I don't even know how available it's out there. I'm sure they are out there. But that's the one that basically mounts directly. It's specific to the various optic cuts of the different guns. Like whether you have a, a, a HK VP9 or Glock, you know, MOS or whatever. Uh, SCS for lowest profile, simplest, uh, probably fairly robust mounting solution because it's, it is direct to the cut of the gun. EPS for durability because it's an enclosed optic. And 507C for the least expensive safest play as far as like that's just a good solid little dot so scs for the latest greatest lowest profile direct mount eps for durability and 507c for just a good solid safe play he uses a glock 45 mos solid gun all right so think about what's most important to you and choose one of those optics now let's get back to our topic today here thomas uh says i think I seem to have an intentional blindness to the dot. I can see the streak, but cannot discern where the dot was at shot break. Are there non-shooting but equivalent drills that can help overcome that? Well, we're going to talk about some things in dry fire, which is you know where we're trying to get to with this discussion here today. I will say that Thomas, uh, a, a clue. Now, I, I, I do think there's possibly a couple things here. And I'll come back to the clue. Uh, there are There is a thing. I don't know what, how to explain it. I don't understand all the science behind it. I just know it's a thing. And I know that people know this exists, Uh, that there are people that at the moment they fire the shot, there's this brief few milliseconds in time of like the mind basically blanking out as far as to visual information and stimuli. And 
ignoring all of that. Like it's just a thing. Now I'm sure it's tied to survival instinct level type stuff where it's like loud noise and our brains hardwired to number one, try to avoid that thing. That's loud, scary, dangerous, whatever. And number two, we tend to blank out about stuff that, you know, is suddenly very frightful or whatever. Now I'm not saying you're afraid of your gun, but I just saying like, there's some survival instinct level stuff that's, you know, sometimes at play here. And I just, I've seen this happen with certain people. So I do have some exercises. Uh, it's hard to explain and d- discuss on a podcast. It's best done in my class where I actually walk you through an exercise that's very much to help you in uh, tuning up your visual awareness. And part of that is simply, just to explain it simply, is have you paying visual awareness or attention to different things as I have you fire a certain course of fire. And what I've, that doesn't always fix everybody, but it fixes a lot of people and that suddenly they become a lot more visually aware of things that they never were before as I walk them through this visual exercise while they're shooting. Okay. And it's done very deliberately, very intentionally. Uh, And again, it's hard to, hard to discuss here on a podcast and I can't even like, show you like it's really something we do in in live fire Uh, so i know that probably doesn't help you but uh, if you can come to a class with me at some point i'd love to to help you out with that um so that's that's the first thing is is that i think that you may be one of those people that kind of blanks out as you're firing a shot and there's there are some things i think we can help rewire or retrain your brain to not do that or at least not do it as much Here's the other thing. If you're struggling with that and you don't quite see this last millisecond impression of the location of a thing, whether front sight or dot, at the moment that it fires, uh, but you are seeing the streak, then start paying attention to the bottom of that streak. I saw Eats, Leaves, Eats Shoots, and Leaves Tactical earlier mention something about the bottom of the streak. With a dot, I mean, since the gun is going to recoil and the dot's going to lift up and then it's going to come back down, we're going to see a streak well, the bottom of where that streak initiated, that's that's where that dot was positioned at the moment that it streaked upward. Uh, so that's something to uh, pay attention to. So, um, and uh, each shoots leaves tactical, says he, he feels like he has a similar challenge at times. Yeah, so it's a thing. So, um, yeah. So good, good other comments there, guys. I, I hope that's helpful. When that's that paying attention to the bottom of the streak becomes really helpful when you start shooting at speed. So as you pick up the pace, there there comes a point when somewhere around the time that you get a little bit faster than say quarter second splits, probably around 0.20 splits, where the gun really doesn't stop at any one point for any amount of time really because it's just constantly moving because you're firing 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 so you kind of just get this constant streak then when 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 i'm shooting at those high rates of speed and trying to call shots at speed i'm really just observing where the bottom of the streak is because again i can't really pick out a dot i just see streak 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 and what i know is that well the reason that there is a bottom point to that streak is because that's where it's reversing course due to recoiling of the gun. 
So that's that must be that precise place where that shot's being fired. So the bottom of the streak is really something to uh, pay attention to. Yeah. John wants to know if we're, yes, we are instructors, John, uh, mentioned classes. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't have my 2023 schedule lined up yet, uh, working on some things and I need to get it. Not like I keep telling people that too. I'm like, I gotta get that locked down, but I keep, uh, getting so busy with some of my other projects. I will have a 2023 schedule on my training website, um, which is, uh, uh, learntrainshoot.com and we have classes listed on concealedcarry.com as well. Matthew, I know you have you put up some classes there mm-hmm. and Matthew's out in Ohio and I'm out in Colorado but I take uh, classes on the road. So last year or this year I taught in Alabama, Iowa, Texas, Ohio, Michigan. Um, I feel like I'm missing somewhere but it, yeah. So we might cross paths at some point, John. So that's live fire stuff. Let's let's cross back over into the dry fire side of things. This is where it gets a little bit kind of interesting, Matthew. I mean, there, everything we've been talking about, I think, is interesting. But talking about shot calling and dry fire is, a, I think, a little bit more of a, I don't want to say advanced concept for people. I don't think it has to be advanced. I just don't think a lot of people discover this until they've spent a little bit more time, you know, working uh, on dry fire, especially. So what's your thought on uh, doing shot calling and dry fire? Let's hear your take and I'll start throwing some things your way as well. Yeah. So um, obviously we covered uh, the importance of, of doing it live fire and, and kind of touched on some um, drills or, or methods that you can use to do that. Um, but you can, you could do the same thing with dry fire and in, in, in the, the um, shooter rate challenge video. Um, I know you're using specifically a cool fire trainer that adds, um, uh, allows the slide to reciprocate. So you do have some movement um, in the slide. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily have to use something uh, like that, but clearly, you know, if you can uh, it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's an additional thing that uh, won't hurt, right? But if you have, uh, you were using uh, the LESR with the Cool Fire Trainer and a, uh, I think you were using the um, Laser Dot Trainer. Is that right? The sure. uh, Laser Cartridge. So when you when you put all this stuff together, um, you have a laser that impacts on a target. And a recording shot, a recording uh, software that records that shot, and so basically you're doing the same thing in in dry fire that you would in live fire. Um, you're tracking that dot. Um, I think, in a way, and, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but like I find it almost harder to do this in dry fire with a laser dot or a laser pistol because that laser impact is, is so eye catching, like your eye wants to jump and see where it impacted. And so I have to, that's another thing that I kind of have to control from me, not like trying to jump the, you know, before the shot breaks, jump to see, like, I want to see where that impact was with the laser. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the shot, you can't really see it. So it's a true, you know, you can truly shot call. Um, I don't know if you, feel the same way with that 
that's maybe that's just something that I do uh, mm-hmm. that I have to struggle yeah. with. Well, so in the most recent Shooter Ready Challenge, which, by the way, folks, you can find that at ShooterReadyChallenge.com if you want to go watch. Uh, it's like a 16-minute video or 18-minute video or something like that, uh, where I you know, break a lot of this down and, and kind of show you some, some drills that I do there. I do use the Cool Fire Trainer uh, in, as part of that video, which I do because what that allows me to do is get multiple shots with reciprocation. And what that means is the, the dot's not going to cut or my sights are not going to quite come exactly back to the same. I mean, the goal is to get it to come back to the same spot, obviously, but, but you know, there's reciprocation. So, so there's some disruption to the sight picture and that makes it a little bit more challenging, uh, which is great fun. Um, cool fire trainer, highly recommend it as a training tool. I like using it, uh, p- I don't use it for all my dry fire practice. Let's be clear. I, I like, I believe in using various dry fire tools for specific purposes and they all kind of have their, their little niche, if you will, uh, where they fit in. Well, uh, now actually in the video, Matthew, I didn't use, uh, uh, spending less time actually. Uh, I don't recall actually using any laser dot in that particular one. No, and you can't use a laser dot with cool fire trainer since it replaces your barrel and all of that okay. in your gun but they have a laser module that screws onto the end of the cool fire trainer, basically the end of the barrel. Uh, and that will fire a laser shot. I don't really use that much anymore because what I use my cool fire trainer for primarily is for multiple shot strings with reciprocation. So it forces me to have a little bit of recoil management or recoil control at, while I'm also being hyper aware of what my dots you know i'm trying to call shots essentially so that's what i use the cool fire trainer for uh if i'm just if i'm working on shot calling and dry fire i am almost certainly not using the laser dot trainer Mm -hmm. so in this month's shooter ready challenge video i'm not using the laser x software to really like indicate hits on target so much as i am using it just as purely as a and is sort of like a built-in training shot timer, if you will, like, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so, because I'm, I'm, I agree with you that if you're looking at a laser impacting a, a wall or the target or whatever, while you're also trying to observe your sights and what they're doing and calling shots and dry fire, that's, that's hard to do for sure. So now here's a, here's a couple of things I want to mention with respect to shot calling and dry fire. So, all the stuff we talked about in live fire applies as far as I'm trying to be visually aware of my sights or dot at all times for every millisecond while I'm performing the shot process. The only difference is that I'm not going to get the lifting of the sights in recoil because I'm not doing it in live fire anymore. I'm doing it in dry fire unless I'm using something like cool fire. But let me address something. There, there is a, there is a secondary issue with cool fire in this respect that I'll address separately. If I'm just doing dry fire, meaning like here's my P365 with barrel block, of course. Okay. So if I'm aim, aimed in on a target, right. And I'm observing the sights, observing the sights, observing the sights as I'm pressing the trigger bang. Okay. And I'm just purely trying to pay attention to where the relationship of those sights are on target at the moment that I press the shot. Um, like that's that's I, I'm really trying to just observe that precise moment, and it's it's harder because I don't get the visual feedback of front sight lift as I fire the shot due to recoil. 
So I have to be a little bit more visually in tune with things. And I've also got to be a little bit in tune with either the, the audible click and or the tactile click of when the trigger breaks relative to what I'm, we got to be able to, in other words, put all that information together, marry it up with what I'm also seeing through the sights. Now, here's the thing. What we're looking for when we're doing dry fire uh, exercises like that is we're trying to see what kind of movement we get in the sights as I fire the shot. Now, if I'm only constantly pressing the trigger nice and carefully, chances are in short order, I'll get pretty good at doing that and I'll see very little disruption in my sights as I press that trigger carefully. You know where you get a lot more value in this is actually not pressing the trigger carefully and actually doing an accelerated trigger press. So in that instance, I actually saw the sight actually do a little bit of a squiggle. It went left and right as I pressed the trigger that time as the trigger broke, okay? I'm gonna press accelerated, okay? It kind of wiggled slightly and went up, okay, as I, as I pressed the trigger that time. That's far more valuable because now I'm paying attention to what the sights are doing at the moment I'm pressing the trigger. Okay, now here's another thing that's a little, little bit more of a nuance, but we should be aware of it and pay attention to it. Uh, you're going to see two potential you know, types of movement. One is going to be a pre-ignition movement, and one will be a post-ignition movement, okay? Which one do you think is the most mm, the most hurtful one in terms of your performance with the pistol? I'm going to go with pre-ignition, Alex. What is <laughs> yes, pre-ignition? That, that's, 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 that's correct. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, that's what I want, really want to be paying attention to. As I'm pressing the trigger, I want to, oop, see, I just saw, I didn't quite get the shot broke off that time, but I saw a little wiggle as I started pressing the trigger. That would have been pre-ignition. And that would mean the shot would not be going where I probably think it was going because just before the trigger would be pressed, there'd be some movement, some wiggle in the sights. Okay. It's really important, it, where possible, in dry fire practice, when you're working on this kind of stuff, to try to uh, pay attention to the, the pre-ignition movement and the post-ignition movement, because post-ignition movement's not particularly relevant. Okay, Post-ignition movement in live fire is virtually meaningless, because we know the gun's going to do this when I fire it, right? And so if my hand induced extra movement after or once the gun started recoiling, it, it kind of, I mean, we're not going to be able to register that because the gun's moving so much anyway, right? But that pre-ignition movement, that's where we need to be in tune and seeing that occur and recognizing it and trying to fix that, trying to address that, mm -hmm. okay? So we want to really pay attention. And so if I press the shot here and after the shot, I see it dip, it's fine to take note of that, but what's important, what I want to be taking away from this from a shot calling perspective is where was my sight at the moment the trigger broke. Okay. And like that, that's the basis of that. Like that's your shot call. Well, this is where it was. Okay. And by the way, it's okay. If the, if the sights are slightly off at the moment that it breaks, as long as we still recognize it. Mm -hmm. Now we want to fix errors, obviously, but the important thing when we're working on shot calling, especially in dry fire, is 
simply knowing where the sights are at the time that the shot is fired. Okay. Even if they're misaligned, it's like, cause what I could do in live fire is, well, I saw that my front sight was slightly to the left and slightly high when I fired that shot. Well, what does that tell you? Where's it going to be on the target left and high. And that's, that's not where you want it, but that's still valuable visual information because then you can start making the determination, well, that may not have gone where I wanted. Do I need to follow that up with another shot? Do I need to make it up, in other words? Mm-hmm. And also, what do I need to do to try to prevent the next shot from being left and high? All of that becomes valuable information and part of a feedback loop to further uh, improve your, your shooting. Yeah, and, and I think it all ties into like that high left shot, as long as you're calling that shot and you know it's you know, 11 o'clock shot, that may be an acceptable shot based on the size of the target, the the distance you are, like your hit zone, right? So we're not talking about like, it ha- you know, it has to be center mass. That might be the shot you need, but, like, but understanding where the shot is, um, is important to being able to say, I have an acceptable sight picture because we are, you know, you know, there's going to be movement. And so when you try to make it so perfect, you end up inducing all kinds of movement. So it's kind of like almost like a controlled being able to control, understand what the movement is in, 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 you know, you might have to shoot slow, you know, it might be because you're shooting quicker. It might be all, all different kinds of factors, but as long as you understand where the rounds are going and they're going where you, where you're calling them, then you'll be able to, you know, dial that in depending on the size of the target or how quickly you're shooting or whatnot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Now the thing I, m- I mentioned, I wanted to address with respect to the cool fire in dry fire, uh, and, and where it's a little bit different than what you will see in live fire, especially if you're using a dot, because it's the the visual information is so much more readily apparent. So um, with the way that the cool fire trainer operates, uh, it's you replace the barrel in your in your uh, in your slide assembly with a cool fire trainer barrel, and that little barrel from cool fire is essentially a small pressurized tank right and you use co2 gas to pressurize it uh there's a variety like you can use the soda stream co2 canisters you can use a paintball canister there's these little um they're like the size of a large hot dog you know small canister you can buy on amazon and there's various adapters you can put on these different canisters so you can charge the cool fire training you know that little barrel that pressure tank when the striker falls or the hammer falls in your gun it basically is pushing a button or a valve that opens that up and when it opens up there's a rod that comes out and it that rod pushes against your slide okay keep in mind that that rod's contained inside the cool fire barrel right that rod comes out and pushes the slide to the rear and that's what allows the gun to reciprocate reciprocate with the cool fire trainer Okay, so the rod pushes it back, and of course the recoil spring brings the gun back in the battery, and then the trigger's reset, and you press the trigger, and it's going to, as long as you have gas in that barrel, you have to recharge about every dozen to two dozen shots, perhaps, depending on, like my X5 lasts for like 25, 30 shots, but my Glock 19 cool fire lasts like 15 shots, which coincidentally is about the number of rounds a Glock 19 typically carries anyway, but... um. 
So why do I explain the, that's a lot of detail there. Well, by nature of how the cool fire operates, when that rod starts pushing against the slide, okay, it's a little bit different of a, of a motion. Uh, uh, it's a different force than what your fired cartridge produces. And there's an equal and opposite reaction to that rod, which is contained inside the barrel, which remains mostly stationary. That rod's coming back and pushing the slide. So what you get when a cool fire trainer fires is at the moment that it fires, you'll see a slight dip. But then as as the gun recoils in, so it'll kind of look like this, bang, and it'll dip slightly, and then it lifts up, and then it comes back, and it kind of dips again, and then comes back more towards the target. So it's sort of this, uh, almost like a wave motion. It sort of like looks like this. And that's different than what your gun does in live fire, which mostly looks like up and down, up and down, or back and forth. So um, with a red dot, you will note, you will, if you're paying attention, you'll see that dot go down and up and back down and slightly up again in that kind of wave You'll see that that motion as opposed to up, down, up, down, up, down. So be aware of that and uh, try not to read too much into that. Just accept it. And it's still a good exercise, I think, to use it for shot calling and dry fire. But it is different than what you'll experience in live fire slightly in terms of what you observe, that pattern, if you will. So I want to make you aware of that. Um, it's not a perfect solution in that regard. It doesn't perfectly mimic a recoil, but it does a pretty good job for a fairly cost-effective system. Because typically recoiling dry fire gun systems are like in the thousands of dollars. And Cool Fire Trainer has made that type of system available to the masses for a much more, it's still kind of expensive, like 300 bucks, but it's, it's a pretty cool system uh, if you think about it. So I like it, um, but there are still some limitations that people should be aware of. And that's why I mentioned them to you now. Right on, man. And actually there is some first person view in the shooter ray challenge video uh, where you'll see that motion a little bit in the cool fire. Mm -hmm. So but as you'll note, I still am able to call like that was center left or upper right or, you know, that that that, that part still remains the same. So this is kind of like a heartbeat on an EKG. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually. Man. Yeah. That's that's spot on. Uh, that's a good description of it. So. Anyway, guys, I hope this is helpful for you in learning about shot calling and dry fire practice. I and mean, we've we've actually really talked about shot calling and talked about shot calling a live fire and talked about now shot calling and dry fire because it's all you know we need the whole picture uh shot calling is a is a learned skill that requires a high degree of visual acuity and awareness and i hope you've picked up some things today that can help you in boosting that awareness and being better able to call shots in other words know at all times where your sights are relative to target so get to it get to work and Check out the Shooter Ray Challenge video at ShooterRayChallenge.com. Yeah, make sure you enter because you can win prizes and all kinds mm -hmm. of good stuff. So, Yeah. Any final parting words, Matthew? I just want to say thanks. Uh, we got great listeners and people that, you know, watch on Facebook when we record these things live. And it, the questions are fantastic. And I, I appreciate you guys uh, uh, I interacting and, and taking your time to uh, to give us some questions and uh, go back and forth. It's awesome. I appreciate that. Cool. Right on, man. Thank you. 
Uh, guys, uh, one more uh, reminder of our episode sponsors today, which were laserapp.org. That's L-A-S-R-A-P-P.org for fantastic, I think still the best dry fire training software out there. Check them out, laserapp.org and barrelblock.com. Barrelblock.com. I have one of those installed right here on this bad boy. You see how that chamber is blocked and everything. Barrelblock with a K.com. And guys, until next time, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Mm-hmm.